Welcome to another episode of Renegade Detroit Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Burgess, professional real estate investor, permaculture and urban farmer, curmudgeon, and skeptic. What is Renegade Detroit Investors? RDI is a local real estate investment and business group that meets monthly at various locations throughout Metro Detroit. This group's about networking and doing deals. This isn't your grandma's real, yo. No smell of disappointment or stale coffee. No sales from the front ever. No Ben Gay. You know what I'm talking about, right? RDI is also this podcast where once a week I sit down, a couple times a month we have these sub-meetings, and we talk about interesting things and interesting people getting shit done, and I pick their brain and share for your amusement and hopefully have education. And if you enjoy this podcast, please give it a like, share it across the internet. If you can, review it on iTunes, share it with the world. I really appreciate it. If you have any feedback, questions, or suggestions, let me know. Go to renegadedetroit.com, renegadedetroit.com. If you're interested in the local meetings like everybody is here today, thank you for coming out. Go to meetup.com forward slash investors or facebook.com forward slash Detroit Investment Club. You can hit me up on Twitter at Jeremy Burgess, or if you prefer, hello YouTube. And if I ever get around to editing these videos and getting them uploaded, you can go to youtube.com forward slash user forward slash Detroit Wholesalers. Legal disclaimer, it's where we live in, folks. In no way, shape, or form should anything that I say or my guests say be taken as legal and or investment advice. We highly recommend that before you make any investment and or investment decisions, you contact an attorney and or other licensed professionals. Being an adult, don't fucking sue me. All right. We are located at Always Brewing Detroit, conveniently off of Grand, the north side of Grand River, between Southfield and Outer Drive. Open Monday through Saturday. Go to alwaysbrewingdetroit.com. We really like this place. They provide this space for us for free if we spend money here. So if you're local, come check it out. Amanda, she's the lady who owns the shop. Come say hi. Everything's within 15 miles or 16 miles, something like that, 15 miles, all locally sourced. Even the beans are roasted locally, so it's definitely worth coming out. That's my plug. I love this place. I want this place to exist, so spend some money here, and I like doing these meetings here. That being said, we are here tonight, and welcome to part three of a six-part wholesaling series. The last two episodes, we spoke about generating leads cheaply, how to start your business with the least amount of money possible, and the last one was talking to sellers. So if those sound like interesting things to you, you can go back and listen to them. This one, we're going to talk about direct mail and lists, all right? So... What is the purpose of direct mail? The purpose of direct mail is to find motivated sellers with equity enough to sell at the price we need, right? And the price we need varies depending on where we're at, but for the world and for America and for what we're listening, we're looking for at least a 35% discount minus rehab. Are you likely to get that in Royal Oak? No, right? Are you going to accept that in Detroit? No, you're probably going to want 40 or 50%. But in general, I'm assuming you know your area better than I do, or maybe you're going to. Uh, I know what I'm doing in Detroit. I want a bigger discount. The more competitive areas like Royal Oak, I don't need as big a discount. And I'm trying to find people who have problems and I have solutions for, and they can say yes. What we don't want to do is mail a bunch of people who can't say yes. What does that mean? They don't have equity. Maybe they only have 10% equity. That's not going to work for a wholesaler or a flipper. That's just not enough, right? 
So we don't want to mail to anybody who doesn't have the money. So how do we find them, right? Focus on the motivation and preferably a motivation that will result in a public record event. Okay. And this varies by state by state. We're in the state of Michigan. If you're listening in another state or another country, all the laws are different, but the concept is still true. We're looking for motivation, human beings, we're space apes, we do silly things, bad things happen, life happens, right? And we're looking for public record events that would trigger this. Why do we want a public record event? Because it has a name and an address, right? And we want to mail them. I kind of break this down into three loose groups, and I'm not saying this is the only way to do it. This is just how I do it. And you'll notice that some of these groups kind of combined together. So there's some personal reasons, right? Retirement. Tired landlord, absentee owners, free and clear. There's also some house reasons, right? It's just an ugly-ass house. It needs a shit ton of work. Um, outdated, right? There's nothing wrong with a house, but it's right out of the 70s. That's outdated. And how many have seen functionally obsolete houses, right? Something from the 30s. It was great in the 30s, but nobody in 2016 America would live in it, right? So that's a house problem. Um, or... Royal Oak, tear down, new builds. There's lots of that going on. A house that's 500 square foot in Royal Oak is not going to last. They're going to take that thing down. Then there are legal reasons, right? And these are just a few examples, limited only by your creativity and how hard you're willing to work, right? Divorce, depending on the state, bankruptcy, probate, eviction, property tax. If you fall behind on your property tax, that's a public record event that gets triggered. And of course, other lawsuits, and I've been there, right, where they you have to sell. You must sell. They're not saying, oh, go ahead and see what you can get. Like, no, you're going to sell in the next 60 days, no matter what, right? That Those are the kind of people we want to, we want to be dealing with people who must sell. 99% of the market is a real estate agent, realtor market. And that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about motivated sellers who have equity, who can do what you want. That's less than 1% of the market. So get used to failure. Get used to making a lot of phone calls. All right, lists. Where? Lots of places. I'm just going to tell you what I have used. There are other things to use. Google it. Do your own research. Listability is one. I like listability. List source. Um, I've also used other public record events. There are people who go down to, sometimes they go down to multiple county courthouses, sometimes just one, and they put together a list for you. Um, you can buy eviction lists like that. Or you can, if you're bored, or if you don't have any money and you absolutely have to do it this way, go down to the county courthouse and collect the information yourself. All right? What kind of lists could you purchase? All right? All sorts of lists are purchased. Public records. Yes, your government sells your information for money. Surprise, surprise, right? Anything that's free to you is being sold to somebody else. So you can buy what's called an absentee owner, which means they don't live. The tax address where the tax bill is sent is not the physical address of the house. You can do a free and clear, meaning there's no mortgage or at least no filed mortgage. Um, to name a few, divorce is something we've named pre-foreclosure. I wouldn't necessarily recommend that in the state of Michigan, but let's say you're in a high growth uh, market with lots of uh, um, year over increases in sales and all that. Uh, you might want to consider something like pre-foreclosure, get them before it goes and becomes an REO. 
That's just to name a few. Whatever list you buy, I recommend you sort the list. And what do I mean by sort the list? First of all, you got to realize, um, and if you're a government employee, don't take this personally, uh, public records isn't incredibly accurate, right? Not too much of a surprise. Wayne County is particularly bad. Out West, I've noticed, is better. Um, depending on when you're at, it might be better. Either way, you're going to be mailing a lot of postcards. It's worth sorting the list. What do I do? I copy the address, and yes, this is boring shit. You could hire somebody to do it, but I copy the address into Google, and first I just make sure there's a house there, right? Now, this is going to seem silly to somebody in California, right? But I'm in Michigan, and we're in Michigan physically right now. We're actually physically in Detroit, and we do direct mail to Detroit. A lot of times there, there was a house there two years ago, and now there's not, right? Some communities are more like that. The Midwest is kind of like that. The Rust Belt, lots of, uh, lots of opportunity, but lots of economic downturn and lots of old housing and old housing stock, right? Then I want to make sure it's a house I actually want to buy. For example, in Detroit, I don't want to spend money to target a frame house. A frame house is at most going to sell for maybe 10 grand. I really got to beat somebody up. Odds are we're not going to come to a deal because there's just not enough equity. If it needs more than basically paint and carpet, we're probably not going to come to some sort of a deal, especially if they owe some taxes. Why would I spend money marketing to those people? Doesn't mean I don't care, but this is a business to make money, right? So I want to see if the house is brick. I want to see if, if it's bigger than a pallet, right? Maybe you don't like doing split level houses, right? I don't know. And if you have more money than you have time, you might say, I don't want to do any of this, right? I don't feel that way. I want to sort the list. I want to get the best list I possibly can. You're limited only by your imagination. There are sites like whydontweownthis.com, which is, seems like it's slowly taking over America. Whydontweownthis.com. Um, they're the alternative to the traditional GIS um, mapping and information and public record sources that most cities use and hire. And there's all sorts of information you can get from that that you can look and you can sort, you can see pictures. They have Google Earth. You're literally limited by your imagination. They show tax information. Sort as best you can for whatever house in particular you're looking for, right? Because if you, especially if you only have a certain amount of money to spend, you want to make sure every marketing dollar counts, right? Also, after you mail these out and blast them out, you're going to find out how inaccurate public records really is. A lot of these things are going to come back. Return to sender, unable to forward, no forwarding address. When I get those back, I take them off the list. Why? I don't want to spend money marketing to people that are not receiving my information, right? Then get creative, right? Especially in the beginning. If you're looking to do 10 deals a week, you're not going to be able to do this, right? But let's say you're just looking to get two or three deals a month, you want to start with as big a list as possible and combine as many motivations as possible. The example I'm going to give you right now, and this is limited only by your imagination, right? So everybody's going to go out and market this list because they're not going to think. But literally, put on your thinking cap. Free and clear, absentee owner, out of state, owes back taxes. Now, you're going to take some list that starts at Two or three thousand, and you're going to whittle it down to a hundred really fast doing it that way, right? But let me tell you, that hundred, those hundred people that you're marketing to, those are highly motivated people. You are 
far more likely to get a call. That being said, you don't want to list too small, right? Because your average response rate is 1% to 2%. We get 3 to 4% after lots of split testing and trial and error, right? But you're probably, when you start and you don't necessarily know what you're doing and you're testing and you're building your brand and figuring it out, your response rate is going to be 1% to 2%. So if you send out 100 postcards the first time, you'll probably get one to two calls. So you want to target as many motivations as possible, but you also want a big enough list to generate the phone calls and the leads you need to get the deal, right? So consider that when you're adding all your motivations up and trying to find and market to the most motivated people possible. All right. Mail. This really just comes down to two things. First, we're going to start with postcards. Postcards are cheap. Hard not to like them, right? They're incredibly cheap. They're good. You don't even have to open them to read them, right? They're just postcard. You go to your mail. Downside is it looks like junk mail, right? Upside is incredibly simple to automate. There are lots of services. We use click to mail. Uh, I'm not necessarily endorsing, but we don't have any problems with them. You can literally book a year in advance if you wanted to. You can automate all of this. It'll come off your credit card. You can upload your, your postcard there. You can upload your list there. You can set the schedule and just set it and forget it. And they'll send you an email when they get blasted out, right? That's, uh, that's very attractive, especially if you're busy or if you're working a job and you're trying to wholesale on the side. Automation is an important thing, right? Um, you can mail more people for the same amount of money. So if you have a limited budget... Postcards can be attractive because you can hit more people and get um, a, a larger area, more people than you could using other methods, right? It does, however, have a lower response rate. So to give you an example, the average, the industry average to direct mail postcards is one to 2%. We're more like three to four, sometimes five if we're combining multiple motivations on lists, right? So what do I mean by that? Meaning if I mail 100 three to five people are going to call, right? The industry average is one to two. I'll go over split testing a little bit, which is why I recommend you split test. And my own flawed space ape personal observation. So this is highly opinionated and I don't have much evidence other than my own personal experience to back this up. It appears to me that postcards, while less people respond, they are far more motivated. So if you have a limited amount of time to take phone calls, this may be something you want to consider, right? Like maybe you only have an hour a day to make calls. Maybe you only have 30 minutes a day to make calls. So you want to make sure the calls you get are the most motivated possible. If you're doing this professionally, I just like dialing and I, like, I love all opportunities, right? I don't say no to opportunities. I say yes. But if you have time limitations, whatever, something can, to consider. Alternatively, you could use letters, Letters. Letters cost more, right? So to give you an idea, postcard, depending on how you do it, 32 to 42 cents, right? And you could make a more expensive postcard. I'm not sure why you would, but you could. A letter, you're talking about 70 cents to $1.10. So almost double the cost. Why would you do that? Well, if you combine it with the correct envelope, that shit gets open in red for sure. We get 10 to 15% response rate on letters. So your phone melts, which when you want to talk to people and you want to do deals, that's a good thing, right? You want that phone to ring 
and you don't mind spending extra money and you have the time to take the phone calls, letters are a great way to go. Um, also, you could be a lot more creative with letters, right? You're not limited. With postcard, you're extremely limited on space, which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing. But let's say you wanted, you were in a state where uh, you wanted to market the pre-foreclosures or maybe bankruptcy, right? There would be, I would include in something like that, a significant education process, right? If you're heading towards bankruptcy, most people don't know what that actually looks like. So you have an opportunity when you mail to also educate them. You can say, hey, here's what a bankruptcy looks like. Here's what's going to happen. Here's what you can do about it. And if this doesn't work and you have to sell, give me a call. That could be a marketing strategy, right? Lead with education, offer it up, maybe push them to a website for more, give them a lot of, you can have a two, three, four, eight page letter. If you really want to go crazy, that's called long form. Or you can do something simpler, which a lot of people do and is being done very well. And we've done it like a yellow, what we call just a yellow letter. What is a yellow letter? Can somebody read their yellow pad, right? That's what it is. You sit down, you peel that off, you put it through a printer, you choose red ink, you take that, you write out your first one, dear space. I'm interested in purchasing your house at address. If you're interested in selling your house, call me at my direct line at. It could be literally be that simple. And then you could print them off and then write in the name, write in the address with the red. I, I recommend if you're going to do this, we found that the red Papermate pen works best. For some reason, that one scans better and it matches the color best, at least for an inkjet printer. Um, we tried lots of different pens, by the way, folks. So you want the red felt Papermate. I'm just throwing that out there. That's what we got the best results for. Um, also, you can do probate, too, for education, too, as an example as well. With letters, though, your envelope is going to make or break the deal, Right. If you're going to do a letter, you must avoid the number 10 business envelope with a little plastic window, right? That thing looks like a fucking bill. It looks like direct mail. The bad part about postcards is how fast they get thrown away. What gets thrown away faster is the junk mail that looks like a bill, right? So if you're going to send somebody a letter... We've tried all sorts of envelopes. Um, Steve, uh, we got great results with this. So, And by the way, I've learned most of this from Steve, like 90% of this from Steve. Um, invitation size envelopes. We kind of like doing off-white or cream. Previously, Gina and I have done lots of different mailings. Lots of So we did put stickers on there. Um, we've written on there. We've used big color envelopes, smaller envelopes. Kind of a pain in the ass to fold the letter up to get it in there. But... If you make it look like grandma sent it or it's an invitation to something they don't want to miss, they will open it up. Envelopes are incredibly important. Do not do letters if you're not going to put it in an envelope that's going to get opened. Because in my opinion, you should just stick with postcards because you're throwing your money away. They'll just toss it and it won't get opened, right? The downside to letters, even though your phone melts, this is something I've had especially if you do the yellow letter, kind of like I just, the example I gave you, you will get a lot of these phone calls. How'd you get my information, man? Like it's the first time they've heard of public records, you know? How you, I wasn't selling my house. Why do you think I'm selling my house? Well, I don't. I was just mailing you a letter to buy your house, Mr. and Mrs. Seller. Half your phone calls will be that. 
That being said, I did, I think I did 32 deals off of yellow letters. So shit still works. Okay. So I'm not trying to say there are pros and cons to both kind of find what works for you and what you have time for, or what your approach is or the list you're marketing to and approach it that way. I just want to sit on envelopes, right? I don't leave here thinking any envelope will do be creative. Don't make it look like a bill. Don't do anything with a plastic window on it. I don't care what size it is. No white, no plastic envelope or a little plastic window. Okay. Frequency. This is what kills most. I, I'm going to say 90% of people starting wholesaling or any marketing plan, right? I mailed once. I kind of returned some phone calls and guess what? My life still fucking sucks, right? You, when you're, when you have a list, you have to commit to mailing it. You have to commit to mailing it. Something like 6% of people are ready to do something now. Something like 60% of people are ready to do something in a year. Keep mailing them. I recommend for most campaigns to mail every 30 days. The only exception I might make is if it's a new list, I might mail let it wait 60 days and make sure I get as many returns back, especially if I'm on an incredibly limited budget. If I had money to burn, I probably wouldn't wait. But if you're really counting every dollar, do your first mailing and then wait 60 days for all the returns to come back so you can remove them from the list and then automate it from there. Just to give you an example, our response rate, you want to know how we get a 5% response rate on postcards it's between the third and fifth mailing, the third and fifth mailing. So I know it can be hard, especially when you're starting out and funds might be limited. Time might be limited. Maybe your spouse or whatever is not on board, right? And it can be difficult to justify an expenditure like this. Remember, it's the long game. I know so many people that mailed once, didn't do a great job doing it, didn't get enough calls or didn't mail enough postcards and then stopped. This needs to be something you do every single month. In fact, I would recommend making 10% of your budget direct mail. So if you make $5,000 on a deal, you take 500, you put it in your direct mail campaign. It's just a cost of doing business. You need to talk to people. You need to find deals. You need to market for them. You need to keep your pipeline full. So frequency every 30 days. When do you stop? You don't forever. You stop when they buy, when they sell you the fucking house, right? Take them off the list then, or put them back on another list. I've done business with you list. You like that? We have one of those lists. I've done business with you. Who better to mail than somebody you've already done business with? Hopefully successfully, right? Hopefully don't hate your guts. You didn't screw it up. If you did a good job. Why wouldn't they do business with you again? Right? Mail those people. Um, and you get the best results with multiple mailings, right? I don't mail a list forever. So if I have an absentee owner list and I've scrubbed it and I've removed all the names, I will update it annually. So I'll buy a new absentee owner list. I'll compare it to the old one and the new names will go on minus the names that got bounced back, right? Because people sell houses, people buy new houses, right? I do it once a year, put it in the calendar. You're good to go but you still keep mailing them. You don't stop. All right. Marketing. What should your postcard or letters say? 
I get so many questions about this, and this is actually the easiest, easiest part. I recommend a twofold approach. Benefits. Specifically say what you're going to solve. Now, here's what I don't want to do. Are you getting divorced, bankrupt, probate, wife left you, job sucks, market sucks, house down, like stubbed your toe, crashed your car, grandma died. You know what I'm talking about, those ones like, do you have all these motivations? No. They already know what's wrong with their life or what what the problem is, right? They need to know the solution is selling your house. Here's how you can sell your house. So the benefits, right? And here's the important part. Don't lie. I know the gurus say fake it till you make it. That's your attitude, right? If you're lying about the number of deals you've done or the team you have, whatever, that just makes you a fucking liar. All right. That's not faking it till you make it. You're a liar. Don't lie. It's the worst thing you can do to somebody is lie. They'll sniff it out and then they won't do business with you, right? So the fake it till you make it attitude is you act rich before you are rich and that's how you become rich, right? You don't lie about being rich. I'm not here telling you today I got millions of dollars because I don't, all right? That'd be a lie. Um, negatives do better than positives, right? So you don't, um, I wouldn't necessarily say you could be done with this house today and you'll be on a beach tomorrow. I say this can all be over in 30 days or less and you never have to think about it again. For whatever reason, negatives affect humans more than positives, right? So if you're thinking about, okay, how can I explain a benefit that solves a negative problem? Focus on the negativity, right? So like another example of pre-floor closure, raise your, well, you're not going to raise your hand. I'll raise your hand. Have you ever been in pre-floor closure? Raise your hand. That's me. I've been foreclosed on, right? Do you know how many letters and phone calls you get? That's a great pain button to hit, right? Tired of all the bill collectors calling you, tired of the bank calling you. That shit sucks if you haven't been there, by the way. It sucks. It sucks so bad. You just get so tired of it. I've been there. I've sold houses this way and been happy to do it, okay? So focus on the negative. You can go, okay, probate. Probate's confusing. You might want to add an education component. Go to this website, figure out this, and then hit them with the negative, right? Combined some education with, okay, and it can all be done. It's going to take this long or whatever. And wouldn't you just like an offer and know it's going to be done in six months? Wouldn't you like to think about something else? These are just some examples. Use your creativity. You're only limited by your creativity. I'm just telling you what works best and what's worked best for me. Um, like I say, I have another example here for absentee owners. This could be your last eviction. If you're a mailing to an eviction list, this could be your last eviction. You may never have to go to court for an eviction again. That's what I'm saying by focus on the negative, right? Not necessarily. You can get this money and go to a beach. I'm not saying don't do that. I'm just saying one plays better than the other. Okay. Also market the process. The internet changes everything and it continues to change everything. Um, I think Grant Cardone was the one who shared this study that 56% of people by the time they've called you, They already know just about everything about you and what they're going to do. All right. So why not market the process? Why not tell them what you're going to do? So if you're going to fix and flip, tell them you're going to fix and flip. And here's how you do it. You call me. We talk about the price. We agree to arrange. We send an appointment. I make you an offer. We close. Shouldn't take more than 30 days. How do you start? Call this number. That's why I say by market the process. 
Tell them what to expect, then do it, then follow through, right? The only problem with this is if you market the process and then you screw up, maybe you're not in the best place in life, you don't follow through, maybe you're not a reliable person. I go back to the first podcast where I say, if you're a shitty, unreliable person who can't show up to work on time and nobody will trust you to work with them, before you start a real estate business, change that. Become that person. But that being said, if you are that person, market the process and then follow through. This will wipe out 90% of your competition. I know it seems silly. Most people won't return all the phone calls. Most people won't call back the same day. Most people may go to the house and if they don't like it or they don't think you're going to accept the offer, they may never call back again. Wholesaling, I don't know what it is about this business that attracts these kind of people, but it does. So you can go, if you want to stand out, market the process, be a reliable human being, do what you say you're going to do, and that's 90% of the problem right there. And I'm dead serious about this. So you're saying I don't have any experience? You don't need experience. Would it be better if you had experience? Absolutely. Show up. You will get it. You will get it, okay? Tracking is very important here, right? Tracking. I made this mistake. Gene and I both made this mistake really bad in 2007, 2008. I did it earlier, but not as expensively with placing ads and classifieds and newspapers and not tracking how much I'm spending versus the calls I'm getting in, right? This is a real problem, right? Direct mail requires a significant commitment to tracking everything that comes in. You have to know if they called in, what, how do they hear about you? Is it off a postcard? Was it off a website? Was it off your letter? You need to know that your marketing dollars are working and where they're coming from. Why? Because you'll keep doing it. And you won't make some money on shit that's not working, right? The easiest way to do this is to have a number for every campaign. How many people do this? I don't do this right? How many phone numbers you need, right? Should I do it? Absolutely. I should, right? I absolutely should. In fact, I know Mike Cowper, Mike squared. I know they do. I know they have a dozen numbers, right? Or you could send them to a unique URL, right? And that URL could even forward to your other site, right? And you can have 10 URLs forwarding to the same site, but there's actually software that can tell you what site they came from, right? Or you can ask, I ask every time regardless. Even if it comes in, it says it came from the website, I'll ask. Why? Because the people taking the calls don't always get it right, and I just want to check. And despite your best efforts, I want to let you know some leads will get in. You don't know where they came from. I'm just saying do your best, right? Do your best. If you do an A- minus in this, you're going to be okay. I just don't want you to be in the same position where, where we were, where we spent three, five, ten thousand dollars $10,000 on marketing on direct mail, and we don't know what's working or what's not. So you stop doing it, especially when times get tough, right? 2007 and the downturn, we really cut back on direct marketing. And that was the exact opposite of what we should have done. But why do we do it? Because we didn't know what was working. If you know what's working in a downturn, you increase your marketing spending. So tracking is a very important thing to do, and it requires discipline to do. And I would go so far to say is if you you can't make a commitment to track this stuff, you should probably maybe focus on referrals, 
or REOs or rely on wholesalers because this is a great way to make money die. Okay. If you do this poorly, you can kill a lot of money. And that's, I don't think you want to kill money, right? Killing money is bad. Is best, I have a pretty good memory, right? I can remember a lot of things. If your phone rings 100 times a month, I can't remember who I talked to yesterday, right? So you need some sort of CRM. You need some sort of way of tracking the people who call in. Now, Alan Daniels, he's old school, man, but you know, you can't, you can't argue with the results. He has an intricate way of using Apple calendars and sending himself emails in the future and all that to make sure he doesn't forget. He also physically writes everything down and he has a board. He does all that. I use Zoho because that's what Steve uses. There are other ones. You can use Salesforce. You can use Podio. I'm not necessarily sold on any one particular version of a CRM. It's just important that you have a process you follow and it can be somewhat automated. And most importantly, if you forget, it'll send you an email or they'll generate a task, right? Some sort of procedure. Uh, I highly recommend some sort of CRM. And the good thing is most of them are free for a certain number of leads. So you, you can do this for six months to a year on most of these before you even have to pay. And by that time, you shouldn't care about paying the 25 or 50 bucks a month because you should be making a shit ton of money, right? But in the beginning, most of these are free. Basecamp is another one. There's lots of different CRMs. So you want to take that information and put it in. Now, what information do you absolutely have to get? First, last name, phone number. If you're really brave, always email. We don't. I think we probably should think about doing it, but I'll ask on the phone to get as many as I can. And obviously the physical address of the house had to hear about us. That's the bare, that's the bare minimum. You can ask for more. There's nothing wrong with that. You have to get that information. All right. Phone's going to start ringing, right? If you're doing it right, phone's going to start ringing. Here's what I did too. Boy, basically this, this podcast is about how I fucked everything up, right? I had to go to my cell phone, which is about the worst thing you could possibly do especially if you're already busy or working a job or have kids or basically a life, right? Your phone rings. They don't leave a message. You forget about it. They leave a message. You call them back and then you forget to put them in the system. You don't ask where they called from because you don't have a script in front of you. All sorts of things can go wrong, right? So I recommend one of two things. Okay. Hire an answering service. There are lots of them out there. Pat Live is who we use. I don't necessarily endorse them. They all have their pros and cons. They're, none of them are going to do it as well as you would if you actually would do it, but you're not going to. So get over that. Or send them the voicemail, and the voicemail tells them the information they have to leave to get a call back, right? Then you either forward this voicemail to somebody who puts it into your CRM, or if it's a live call, they can just put it right into the CRM for you. Or if you're on a limited budget, you put it in the CRM before you even call them back. Why do you do that? To make sure it goes in. You want to put it into the CRM, right? So if you absolutely have to take the call and you're in a position to take the call, I, I there's, there's like one of you that might make sense for. Everyone else, I'd really recommend send them the Google Voice, 
with a list of the information they have to leave and when you'll get back to them or send them to a live answering service with a list of questions they'll ask and they'll enter it in for you. And then you'll just get an email, right? Something like that. Highly, highly recommended, especially as you get bigger and you spend more money on postcards, right? You got to remember all your problems that are small with small amounts of money, just magnify like, like a magnifying glass by orders of magnitude worse, the more money you dump into it. So if you have a problem returning calls when you're getting 10 calls a week, dumping more money is really going to mess up your life, right? Start small, get a hold of it, hold on to it tight, do your best practices, and then do as best you can, then start to pour money in, right? Speaking of best practices, split test your direct mail marketing. What does that mean? That means coming up with two different postcards. Not completely different, very similar, and then testing them on similar lists and seeing what does better. In fact, uh, there are people, this is how Steve has got his uh, response rate up to 5% on postcards. It's just by, just by testing. In fact, last year he went through a crazy phase, didn't you, Steve? You like blasted out three or four, I don't know, three or four different postcards with all with different numbers and all that. Uh, he was pretty aggressive, but he's got, he has big goals. I wouldn't necessarily say you tackle that many at a time, right? Start with two. The important thing is though, you're not, you're not testing necessarily polar opposites. I think it's okay to start with opposites, but you're actually more talking about subtle changes, right? Small changes that might, re- might result in um, an increased response rate, right? You want to test, obviously have separate numbers, separate URLs, some way to track this, and then you just constantly improve it, right? Mail consistently. You got to mail consistently. Most of the mistakes we made, not mailing consistently. Count go, you forget to load money into your account. You wouldn't think that would happen. You're human. That can actually happen. You've just forgot to load the money into the account. You Maybe you forgot to check the box. I know these things seem silly, but <laughs> life happens. You get busy. Christmas comes, whatever. These things happen. You have to mail consistently for this to work. In fact, your best results are between a third and fifth mailing, right? So think at least as far as three mailings. And if you can, stretch it to five, right? Do the best you can to project as far into the future as possible. Sort and remove returns from your list to stretch your marketing dollars. If you have lots of money, I don't think this is important, although I think efficiency is a good idea. I can see the, the, uh, an argument being made effective versus efficient, but if you have extremely limited funds, I think it makes sense to remove those, right? Use a CRM of some sort. You're a space ape, and you're likely to forget and slip, right? You are. You're not perfect. Neither am I. I forget all the time. All the time I forget. Actually, I will amaze myself how fast I can forget. And the busier I am, the faster I forget. All right? So I'm going to harp on this. CRM, write it down. In fact, if it's not on my calendar, this shit ain't happening. It just it comes down to that sometimes. It, it's not in the calendar. It's not happening. That's how busy life can get. I want you to set yourself up for success. Okay? Return all. All calls as close to the call-in time as possible. I am not perfect in this either. Same day, if you can, 
closer to time to call in as I can, right? The more you do this, the better you will be as a wholesaler. The more consistent I am at this, the more deals I get, the bigger deals I get, okay? It's worth doing. Life gets in the way. I completely, this year, I completely turned my entire schedule around just to do my calls differently, and I'm already way happier with my results right out of the gate. It's worth doing. Follow up with no contacts at least three times. What's a no contact? They call in. You call, leave a message. They don't get back to you at least three times, okay? As Steve says, the fortune's in the follow-up, and I'm sure you stole that from somebody else, right? The fortune's in the follow-up. Pretty much everything you can do that you know most human beings won't do will make you a fucking winner, right? Most people will make one phone call if you're lucky. So it's going to separate you between most people three phone calls, right? Seriously, if you go and do this, you'll be the... I can't even do all this as well as I'm saying, right? If you can do all this stuff, you will be the best wholesaler in Metro Detroit, maybe even in, in America, all right? Get and ask for email addresses, right? Think long-term. You spent money to send a postcard. Most of the people you're going to talk to, remember that 99% you, you can't help, and of that 1% competition, you don't want the house, you don't know what you're doing, that you won't agree to a price, difficult personalities, all that stuff. If you get an email address and you have a CRM, you can automate responses and you can continue to market to them. So this is part of that stretching your marketing dollars as far as you can, an email address. And we get deals on that. Steve gets deals on emails from stuff we looked at six months ago. They'll just send out, they'll see it and they'll change their mind. I'm ready to do this. If you didn't have their email address, you'd have to remember to call them How likely is that happening when you're getting 200 phone calls a month, right? This is what I'm talking about, building systems to to basically defeat your space apeness, right? Mail to specific areas. So just because you have an absentee owner list doesn't mean you should mail the whole list. Try and mail to areas where, so like you have a whole zip code maybe, stick to that zip code. And if it's a really big zip code, stick to the certain streets in that zip code. So that way when you get 20 calls and you book five appointments, they're all within three miles and they're not all over. We have accidentally mailed Westland and East Point and Clarkston. Do all those in the same day. That, so I'm just saying if you can set up your list and market that way, you can book your appointments smarter and book them closer together. Save yourself time, money, gas, all that. I made all these mistakes. So I'm sharing them with you, right? Set goals and deadlines. This is one you should do before you leave tonight. You should write it down. Without a deadline, it's just wishful thinking, right? It's just wishful thinking. So if you're going to go do a direct mail campaign, decide what kind of direct mail campaign and get started immediately tonight. Work the numbers backwards, right? Because you just set some goals. Maybe you want a deal a month. So, okay, I just want a deal a month. Here are my numbers. I'm not the best in the world by far, but you can probably do better than me. It takes 24 leads for me to get one contract closed. Okay? 24 leads get one contract closed. So what I mean by working this backwards, at a 2% response rate to get 24 calls, I need to mail 1,200 postcards. 
Now, our response rate is higher. So I'm, I'm choosing like when you're just getting started, you're very likely to have a 1% or 2% response rate because you, you still need to practice, right? Try and set yourself up for success, right? Work the numbers backwards. I need 24 calls to get one contract closed. Set your goals based on that. If you don't think you can do that, say 30. If you're a stone-cold killer, say 20, whatever it is. If you're tracking, you know, right? Then get to work. It ain't going to do itself, right? That's it. I managed to get it all done in 39 minutes. Boy, that went fast. Now, I know I just literally like shotgunned you with information, right? It's because we're trying to keep this to an hour. If you have questions, I'm unmuting the mic here. You see this mic? If you have a question and you would like it answered, please step up to the mic at this point and ask the question. Does anybody have any questions? Don't be shy. I don't bite hard much. Got a question? All right, good. We got a question. Thank you. I appreciate it. Not leave me hanging here. <laughs> come ask something anyway. Go ahead. Right in. Talk right into here. Yep. How's everyone doing? Yeah. And if you want to, your name, your email address, this is to listen to globally. So if you want to okay. globally market yourself, see uh, right there, Horton, raise your hand, Horton. He actually was contacted off the last meeting recorded live. So maybe we're sharing. It's up to you if you want to. Um, sure. Okay. Uh, my name is Jamila Felder, and my email is J-A-M-I-L-A-F-E-L-D-E-R-88 at gmail.com. All right. Thank you. And what so is your question? first and last name. <laughs> Um, my question is, I'm starting my first uh, campaign, my okay. first direct mail campaign. And so the first question that I have is, how do you find uh, a good company as lead sources? Because I've been researching a couple companies and the prices are totally different. Um, I looked at one company and it was like $30 for 100 leads per 100 leads. And then another website was $100 for 250 leads. So how do you... Figure out what's a what's a good lead source. Well, I can only tell you what we have done, mostly what Steve has done. He, we use listability and list source. Okay. Now they're different, they and they okay. do different things, right? So listability, I think at the minimum order is ninety nine dollars, and so no matter, I think within a certain amount of limit, uh, Steve will probably tell you better than I could because he he does most of this, and then some will sell you per name, right? And then some lists are really expensive. Like you could buy an inherited list. How much is that, Steve? Dollar sixty a name, right? But inherited property seems like we should market to those kind of people, right? Free and clear inherited property. Oh hell yeah! Um, but like absentee owners, usually ten cents a name, and listability has a minimum. Um, I'm not sure it actually matters what the cost is so much as it, so it's not carried away. But I'd say somewhere between 10 and 30 cents for most per lead would okay. be a good place to start. But just understand they might have minimums, so you might have to buy more because okay. you're going to spend the same amount of money anyway, right? So they go, well, $99 minimum, so you might just have to order more. Okay. Does that answer your question? Yes, it Listability, does. list source. Thank you. Okay. And my second question is – Great. I love questions. <laughs> um, how do you know – uh, what areas are investors buying homes in? Like, how do you, how do you figure that out? Okay, that's a great question. Uh, I can I'll answer this two ways, right? So you can use the MLS, and you can search for days on market, 
and sales volume, you can see how many deals. And you can actually divide that number by the available properties for sale and or the available properties per city and come out with some sort of percentage, right? The reality is, though, humans are humans. A rich person gets divorced. A poor person gets divorced. Rich people get sued. Poor people get sued. Bankruptcy happens to rich and poor people. Human problems happen everywhere. And mostly what we're focusing on are human problems. So probate happens to everybody. doesn't care what color you are, how much money you make, what sex you are. Probate happens. Bankruptcy happens. So anywhere is a good place to you. On my first one that I did, I recommend if you're starting, it should be close to where you live, close to where you work, or somewhere in between on your way to work, just because time might be limited. Pick the best and maybe use what I just said. Use the MLS to find the area, but it needs to be something you can do. And the fact of the matter is there are actually deals everywhere because there's human problems that you can solve everywhere. Now, if you were looking to make a minimum amount per deal, that might change your opinion too, right? Detroit, not likely to make $30,000. I'm not saying you can't, and I have done it. But it is the needle in the haystack, far more likely to make $30,000 in Royal Oak. So it also depends upon your goals as well and how much money you're looking to make. Or maybe you're not looking to wholesale necessarily. You want to do rental. So it would depend on what your goals and desires are as well. Okay. Detroit seems to be. Can you speak a little closer to the mic? Detroit seems to be challenging because I have started building my cash buyers list and I've noticed that. No one wants to buy properties in Detroit. Yeah, it's like Thunderdome for real estate, right? Right. Two men enter, one man leave. That's what it feels like to me most days, right? Right. I would say if I if I had to do it all over again, I would not become an expert in Detroit. That being said, I did. So it's it's simple for me to do. And I wouldn't tell somebody not to do Detroit. I think there are plenty of opportunities. But it's hard to argue with the results of people like Jesse and Josh Sterling and other people who, Robert, sitting right here, right, who who have done way better than me, and they're not fucking around with Detroit at all, right? I don't think that's an accident, right? They're going to making 25 to 50 a deal, and I'm pushing out four to eight a deal. I'm not hating it. I can do it, and I don't mind doing it, and I'll do it all day long, but you bring up an excellent point. It may be worth considering investing your time in a higher margin market. And I don't want to be sexist, but you are a woman. I don't know if you identify as a woman. I don't want to get in trouble that way. Could be dangerous, yes. right? Could be dangerous. I don't, I don't want to be that. Detroit is, I mean, I've lived here. I live in Detroit. I invest in Detroit. It's not something I worry about, but I'm also a pretty big dude too. So that may be something worth considering. Right? <laughs> and I've, I realized in Detroit that a lot of properties they're selling, they don't have warranty deeds. Yeah. And that was a problem too when I was talking to investors. They like the warranty deed. Absolutely. That, it, within the first two minutes, if I haven't already looked at the public records before I call, if it's not there, I ask, how'd you buy the property? Did you get a quick claim deed or did you get a warranty deed? Especially starting in November. Because <laughs> the Wayne County tax auction, maybe the end of October, <laughs> but it's always bad this time of the year. You're getting all these calls because I've been getting them too. I got this property. I don't know anything about it. I want all this money. Oh, did you buy the tax auction? Yeah. Did you quiet the title? No. Yep. Call me back. That being said, 
if there's enough equity, which is not likely in Detroit, but like a tax auction from Oakland County, don't ignore those. Okay. <laughs> People will, will put up with problems to make big spreads in Oakland County or Macomb County. But you are correct in that this time of the year, we get a ton of website leads and they're all trying to sell their crappy Wayne County tax auction property that they haven't even seen, don't have any pictures, don't know anything about, but they want $10,000. So True. <laughs> yeah, 700 bucks. Yeah. Excellent questions. Thank you. Thank you. Do you have any more? That's all. Oh, you're excellent. Thank you. I appreciate <laughs> it. You. Great questions. Does anybody else have any questions? All right. Come on up. Thank you. And if you feel like it, you can globally market yourself, your name, your phone number, your website. If you feel like it, you don't have to. Oh, I will. Thank you. I'm Eunice Gant. I'm the president and the CEO of HFG Real Estate and Construction Services. My email address is hfgservicesllc at gmail.com. I've done over 150 deals in Detroit. I am a female. I've never been accosted. I, you know, I've never had problems in Detroit. I'm an expert. Excellent. In Detroit. Welcome. So, um, but I did have a question, um, and it, it, it bothers me, I guess, when I hear people talk about Detroit when they don't know Detroit, and I know Detroit. I'm okay. just saying. Okay. Are you suggesting I don't know Detroit? All I'm saying is. I'll take you down. Some of the things. <laughs> I got 200 fix and flips under my belt. Good. Okay. I'm just saying that some of the things that you said did not apply to my experience. Okay. Well, what what part of that was it? About, well, you're a female, you may need to be careful, all this stuff. Does that sound like bad advice to you? No, no, no. Okay. I'm careful in Bloomfield Hills. I'm careful. I'm careful in rural oak. I'm careful everywhere I go. It has, I'm careful when I'm in Chicago. Is the crime rate higher in Detroit or Royal Oak? It doesn't matter. It does. I am careful. So, Do you have a question? I'm not here to argue with you, though. Then why are so, you arguing with me? Well, I mean, because it's terrible when someone makes these general comments because of their experience, but it's not everybody I've never been to Casa, but I could read the crime statistics for Detroit. Top five murder in America every year. Yeah. I've been assaulted. I've been robbed five times. You have. I'm sorry to hear that. Well, I'm just, I, you know. All right. Question. I, I've never. I love been this robbed. city. I just I've don't pretend things aren't robbed. true. That's okay. all. I've never been robbed, but uh, probably because I have a great attitude. But I wanted to know about the funding sources. How okay. do you find money? Personal relationships. Okay. So before the crash, and I think we're coming back to it. We are. We are slowly coming back to it. Before the crash, there were hard money lenders. Mm-hmm. Um, an investor could go refinance too. So there was always, and you can still do that now, which is more difficult. Yeah. But Detroit, I found particularly difficult, meaning I can get most deals done in the suburb no matter what. Sure. Even if they don't like me or they don't, I can get something done. In Detroit, I had to develop a lot of personal relationships. Okay. A lot of them I had to do where I didn't necessarily need them. But I use them anyway to turn them. So if I was selling it the same day mm-hmm. and I had my own money, a lot of times I would use a hard money lender or a private lender, even though I didn't have to, just to establish the relationship. Because okay. whether we like it or not, there is friction in this market to getting deals done. Sure. 
So I always want to, and I always butter it up too. I wanted all the sugar, all the butter. I went all in, right? If I wanted to do, so there's one guy, I won't say his name, but I really wanted to do business with him. <laughs> Gave him 10 points and 30%. Mm-hmm. Because there's enough. That good thing about Detroit is the margins are high. Yeah, they are. The margins are high. You can afford to pay. If you can mm-hmm. find somebody, mm-hmm. you can afford to pay them more. So I didn't, I didn't skimp. I didn't say, well, 8% or anything. I just, all the butter, all the sugar. And then I put them through a series of simple deals okay. as best I could to build up their confidence. I was transparent. Um, I was honest. And when things went wrong, I did the best I could to make it right. That being said, I've been doing it for 10 years. I know you've done a ton of deals too. Mm-hmm. Some of them just take, um, just take time. They do take time. They do take Some time. Some of them do take yeah. time. Um, my next question is, so it's funding related in the suburbs. Are you um, spending more time with hard money lenders in the burbs or your Everything's about the relationship. But For sure, right. Right, yeah. right. And and we're going to have a good one, believe it or not. But um, so are you finding that you're having to reach out more now to the limited hard money people that are in the burbs, you know, like the suburbs? Well, I can't answer that question because I'm in a complete different spot. Yeah. Um, okay. I have multiple lawsuits and, and oh, everything okay. else. I had a bad partner and okay. I owe a ton of money and I won't be borrowing any money from anybody anytime soon. Okay. I'm actually paying people back. Okay. Um, I can tell you before this happened, Yeah. Um, I wasn't even looking in the suburbs. Okay. I, until 2010, yeah. I only did deals in the city of Detroit. So everything was revolved around it mm-hmm. and I had to do all sorts of things. I had to put half the money in. Mm-hmm. Um, I had true. to cash them out after three months, some were six months. Yeah. Some I can do long-term deals with some. I could only do land contract deals before that became more complicated. It really kind of felt like, I don't know, you almost need like a multi-tool kit <laughs> to get Detroit deals done with people. And everybody would do a certain kind of deal yeah. for a certain period of time. So I found it very difficult to to automate and systematize, which means I spent a ton of time on the phone and a ton of time writing emails. So did I, yeah. But I got it done, right? Made right. lots of money. We made money. Yeah. But speaking of money, though, I want to just spell like another thing that you said about the tax auction because I've, you know, I've done a lot of great deals that I bought from Wayne County tax auction. And some of them, I was able to quiet them, but some I didn't have to. So it just depends now. It does. And if okay. you can get a hold of the previous owner mm-hmm. and get him to quick claim deed the property to you, you can skip the quiet title. That's perfect. Right. So thank you. But for your average Joe Schmo or wholesale and they got yeah. $500 in their pocket. Yeah. Not worth, I would say most of the time, at least in Detroit, not worth chasing down in the beginning anyway. I agree. Unless, right, thank you. Thank you. Okay. Great questions. And I will say a caveat too. Some people actually, when they buy their Wayne County tax auction house, they have all the due diligence, right? But it, in my practice, it's like less than 1%. And they get people from all over the world who thought they're going to get rich at Wayne County tax auction. So I say return every phone call. I say talk to everybody. I say ask all the questions. And I do it every time because I don't know a way to figure out who they are without talking to them or what kind of deal they have. So I would ask anyway. If I'm saying that because the temptation is not to return the call. 
you don't know, return the call. Even if you think you know, and most of the time you do know, return the call because that's how you find the good deals. That's how you find the one. That's how you find the person who quiet titled the property and fix it up and knows everything about it. You got you to gotta return the phone call. So excellent questions. Thank you. And I'm not mad at you. Facts are facts, though. Any other questions? Jeff. Thanks, man. Yeah. Hey, my name is uh, Jeff Lipple. I look for flips and wholesale deals in Oakland and Macomb County. My email address is jeff.lipple, L-I-P-P-L-E, at gmail.com. Thank you, Jeff. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering, the example where you gave maybe 1,200 mailings would result in a deal. Now, are you talking about a list of 1,200 that you're mailing each month, or is it a list of 400 one month, then another one of 400 the next month? Because the, like we were talking about the three to five to seven touches. I understand. Yeah. yeah. No, if you send 1,200 all at once, you will get at least one. But you bring up an interesting point. Because eventually it's going to catch up. You're going to have to, you're going to get at least 24 phone calls, right? So if you're not in a position to get all 24 phone calls at once, yeah. you may want to break it up 400 a week. A lot of this depends upon how much time you have right. and how many phone calls you can. And some people are better, I'm sure. For me, it's 24 calls. So I'm just, I'm not the best. In fact, I'm probably mediocre at best, right? Some people can do it in 16, whatever, but just track it and you'll know. Start with 24 as a base or maybe 30 if you're being more conservative. Right. And set that goal at a 2% response rate to get 30 calls. And if you do, you're very likely to get a deal. Now, by your third to fifth mailing, you're not getting a 1% or 2% response rate. You, you're very likely to double your response rate because everybody else quits before then. So, But that's to the same people. So by the time you market to them again and again and again, the response rate goes up because you're staying in front of them. Most people aren't prepared to do something now, but they will be in the next year, which is why you continue to market to them. Yeah, because I was wondering if if you're doing 400 a week because you know you can only answer so many incoming calls. If I do three weeks, I'm at 1,200. Should I kind of just start redoing that list because you don't want to get to 1,600 or 2,000? Because then, as you get into the sixth month of doing that, it'll be too much to handle? Or? Yes, is the answer to that question. Okay. Always market. Always market to the same list. We never stop marketing to the list unless we buy their house. And you know what? Quite frankly, they probably have more than one house. So, or they you have a friend. you want to add on new mailings or new addresses beyond the 1200 for example? I uh, it depends. That's a personal question. I probably wouldn't in the beginning just because I start with one list. See what works and then tweak. Market to it. Make sure you're getting calls, right? Mm. If you're not getting calls, you're doing something wrong. Definitely change it. Know the industry average is 1% to 2%. Test it. 400 a week sounds like a good start, right? You will get phone calls, man. Yeah. You If you mail 400 postcards, you're going to get a phone call. Right. You know, and, and 400 times 4, 1,600 over a month, you're, you're going to get uh, phone calls. But keep mailing to those people too. Right. Always mailing to that people. And then once you feel comfortable with that volume, you can add another list. But that's in conjunction to the current list you're already mailing, right? Mm-hmm. Never stop. So if you have 400 names, that's a good question. So maybe if you want to market the multiple list at the same time, you might want to, and I'm not saying this is a good idea or not. I'm just saying if you're going to, you might want to break it down even smaller, but then make sure obviously you have some sort of tracking in place like we talked about, right? right. This is where it can get confusing 
It's not hard if you just set it out, different phone number, different URL to track it or ask, which is what we do. Um, but excellent question. Yeah, thanks. Thank you, Jeff. Any other questions going once? Any other questions? Yeah, go ahead. I would have never. I'm sorry. Thought. Can you? Oh, yeah. Okay. Thank you for humoring me in my podcast. Yes, again. I would have never thought to market to the same list until. That is awesome because basically. Thanks, Steve. Raise your hand, Steve. (laughs) I'm sure he didn't figure it out, but he's the one who taught me. I've marketed too. And, you know, we always market to multiple lists. And, right, I mean, if you're on a budget, all you need is one good list after you scrub it, and you just keep marketing to that list. Yeah, 40, I think it's 40% of people that you market to are ready to do something in the next year. But you don't know which 40%, which is why postcards are cheap. Um, and if you're making at least four or five grand per deal, it's hard to see how you would lose by continuing to market to them, right? Especially if you're answering the phone calls. If you're not answering the phone calls, I can see how you can get away from you. But um, if you're answering the phone calls, it's hard to see how you would fail at it, you know? Thank you. Any other questions? Going once? I have a question. Come on up. Thank you. If you feel like it, share your name and contact information. If not, go ahead and ask your sure. question. Uh, my name is Corwin Hernandez, and my contact information is uh, Corwin Hernandez at Gmail. C O R W I N H E R N A N D E Z Gmail. Uh, my question is: uh, So I've been listening like to the Bigger Pockets podcast and just like really trying to learn everything. Like I'm really new to all this. I'm only like 20 years old. I'm a pretty young guy. But um, my question is: What are points in terms of hard money lending? Like I haven't. I haven't heard anyone talk about what are those points and, you know, I don't know what that is. Thank you. It's percentage, right? So a point is 1%. Okay. So $100,000 loan, one point would be $1,000. It's usually paid up front, but sometimes could be rolled into the loan, right? Okay. So if you say 10 points, if I wanted to borrow $100,000, that's 10 points, Mm. I have to pay $10,000 up front. Okay. And or, depending on the hard money lender, that $10,000 gets rolled in. So I'm not borrowing $100,000. I'm borrowing $110,000. Okay. And then the interest rate applies, right? <laughs> okay. Okay. So that's uh, – it's a, thank you. That's a good question. Sometimes yeah. I forget that um, I need to slow things down a little bit. <laughs> no, don't worry. Thank you. You're welcome. Any other questions? Going once. Going twice. Excellent. Thank you. If you enjoy and find this podcast helpful, please share it with your friends that you think would enjoy this. This is a free podcast, and the sharing really does help. Also, if you're on iTunes or Stitcher or SoundCloud, if you can rate it, I'd really appreciate it. And if there's something I'm not doing, if you have any feedback or comments or ideas, please share them with me. Reach out. Go to renegadedetroit.com, renegadedetroit.com. If you're interested in the local meetings, go to meetup.com forward slash renegadedetroitinvestors. Or Facebook.com forward slash Detroit Investment Club. You can hit me up on Twitter at Jeremy Burgess. Or if I ever get around to editing these videos and get it up on YouTube, hello YouTube, you can go to YouTube.com forward slash user forward slash Detroit Wholesalers. And as I wrap up this podcast, I do want to take a moment to encourage you to take whatever steps in whatever city you're at, regardless of your situation, to become financially independent. I know there are a lot of distractions, mistakes, Poisonous people, bad habits, lots of things preventing you from starting. Pick a goal, stick with it, don't give up, 
Do something every day that gets you closer to your goal, even if it's one step. I do want to thank you guys for coming out tonight. I know you could be doing a lot of different things on a Tuesday night, especially in this cold. I really appreciate it. Thank you for the for listening and for the questions. And until the next podcast, crush it. <laughs>